In a world of career uncertainty, there is one variable you have total control over, yourself. Welcome to Forever Employable Stories, where expert digital transformation consultant and successful entrepreneur Jeff Gotthelf will share conversations with unique and inspiring individuals who have taken charge of their professional lives, leveraged their expertise, built an audience, and future-proofed their careers so you can learn how to do the same. Here's your host, Jeff Gotthelf. My passion is puppetry. What can I do with that? That was Tara Schuster's immediate response when, upon graduating college, she was told to follow her passion. Armed with a playwriting degree, she realized there was much more to learn before finding her dream job. Instead of going back to school for another degree, she threw herself into a series of entry-level positions. In other words, internships. Initially at Jokes.com, and then at Comedy Central, working on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. She was one of the many interns on staff, all trying to get discovered for their comedy skills. Instead of vying to be the funniest or the wittiest, she took on the jobs that none of the other interns wanted. Her mantra, be the best at the worst. Whether it was transcribing videos, updating the homepage, running for bagels, or cleaning the coffee machine Jon Stewart used every day, Tara quickly earned a reputation for reliability and competence. True competence, it turned out, was in short supply at the time. Her first book, Buy Yourself the Lilies, sold well and attracted tons of attention to her other platforms, including Instagram. The growth in her network and audience has pulled in new opportunities to write a second book, turn her book into a TV show, and other popular writing options, as well as many inbound speaking requests. As you'll see in the interview, Tara worked daily to build her skills, platform, and content foundation so that when opportunity found her, she was ready to seize it. That opportunity became a flywheel for other inbound leads that continue to keep Tara busy writing and entertaining an increasingly larger audience. She has truly become forever employable. Take a listen. Hey folks, super excited to be back for yet another one of my, as it turns out, accidental podcasts. My guest this time is the author of a book called Buy Yourself the Lilies, which I love, I love that title, and the former VP of Talent and Development at Comedy Central, I'm so glad to be speaking with Tara Schuster, all the way from Los Angeles today. Tara, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. So listen, let's set a little context for the folks. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, it's definitely, when I was graduating college in 2008, I heard at a lot of commencement addresses, follow your bliss, find your passion. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. Are you going to pay my student loans? Like my, and my passion is currently puppetry. Like what, what will be done with this? And so I was very confused about what I wanted to do. And so the only thing I could think to do was try to learn more. I knew I wanted to be in entertainment in some way. I didn't know how to get in the door. So I took basically the first available job within entertainment, which was a production assistant for Comedy Central's website called joke.com, which, you know, my friends are all working at Goldman Sachs and like have all these fancy jobs and I'm at (laughs) jokes.com. But the reason I took the job was because it was just the first open door and I having, I went to Brown for playwriting. And I was like, wait, there's so many things I don't know that I didn't get from college. And this job was 
in digital media. So I knew nothing about digital media. So I lied my way into the job. They're like, do you know HTML? I'm like, yeah, of course I could do that. (laughs) I just assumed I'd figure it out. But what I let lead was, I don't know anything about that. Let me attack it. Like, can I look at this as grad school for digital media and my first entry into entertainment? And it worked. And from there, I sort of kept doing the same thing, which was like, what don't I know about? Let me learn and attack this job from a place of like curiosity. And it really helped me see things that other people didn't see. Like I I ended up being very good at being able to identify talent and voices, you know, new comedians, because I wasn't so locked in. Everything was like new. And I really had like beginner's mind. And I, I always try to approach any job from that point of view of sort of a novice. Amazing. And so you get in, by the way, I got my first gig very much the same way, although it wasn't web development as well. And they said, do you know HTML? And I said, I can spell it. And <laughs> <laughs> you told the truth. I did. That's where we differed. I right. totally I, I, lied. Right. Yeah. So I, I got my first gig there too. It's funny that the intern thing too, in New York City as well, my passion was music and music production. And I ended up being an intern at a music studio on 21st and Broadway on the overnight shift for a summer. And it was a lot of, you know, making popcorn for Big Head Todd and the Monsters, you know, largely. You know, you learn a lot though, right? You attack that kind of you stuff. Do. So how do you go from sort of the jokes.com to the VP of talent development? Yeah. So I'd had one entertainment internship during mm-hmm. college and that had been right after college, excuse me, at the Daily Show with John Stewart. And basically what I learned at that internship was be the best at the worst. I didn't really know much about entertainment at that point. And I didn't really know much about comedy other than I liked it. And I really liked TV. And I saw all the other interns sort of were very performative. They would like try to do bits to get discovered. And I noticed that the adults were just like, so not pleased with that. They're like, so not entertained. So it was like, how can I stand out? Like, I want to do a good job. I love this show. How can I really work rigorously here? And what I realized was that there were all these horrible jobs that nobody was taking seriously, like transcribing the tapes, making sure that the bagels were always in the bagel bin. And the one that really struck me was that the coffee machine that Jon Stewart used to make coffee after rehearsal was often had no water, had an ominous red light blinking, (laughs) dirty. And I was like, okay. I'm going to make that coffee machine my like I am going to be the person who can always be relied upon to fix the single most important piece of equipment in any creative space, the coffee machine. Right. And it's like a lifelong lesson is there are all these weird little opportunities around us that people perceive to be the worst. And so there's no competition for them. Like, Nobody else was trying to clean this coffee machine. Nobody was vying for the job. So I owned it. Like I owned the coffee cleaning lane. Nice. And it really mattered because then when I applied to this jokes.com job, the Daily Show, you know, highly recommended me. And so I took that and at Comedy Central, so I'm in this lowly PA position, I would be the best at updating the homepage, be the best at transcribing stand-up videos, 
really try my hardest at these things that were not glamorous. And so I ended up earning this reputation as somebody who was very competent. And I think people underestimate how in short supply, like true competence and reliability are. And so when I would, I would then pitch to my bosses, well, what if I ran the live stream for this comedy show? Or what mm. if I did an interview series with, you know, Wyatt Cenac or whatever, whatever comedian. Yeah. And so little by little, because I had proven myself as somebody who they could trust, they would give me more opportunities to do things. And that's really how I was able to take that and parlay that very lowly position into a promotion pretty quickly by proving my case, by showing them my value. And then I even switched entire departments. Like I, you know, I'm glossing over sort of a whole thing where I I ended up being the digital producer for Key and Peele which mm-hmm. is sort of what launched my career in a more major way. Yeah. But the way I got that job was I was best at the worst of all of these digital things. So by the time I saw Kian Peel, the pilot, I said to my bosses, you know, I can be the digital producer for the show. I just graduated college. I understand how people consume sketches. Please give me this opportunity. It wasn't that hard for them to say yes because I had already proven myself. So then I, so I pivoted from this like more data entry thing to a more creative job as a producer and proved myself in that arena and then pivoted into development, which is a completely different field that at the time, many people said, Oh, you can't make that leap. The only people who work in development, they were an assistant in on another development desk. They were, they worked at an agency, they worked for management nobody comes from digital into development. And I guess I should say development means we're the people who find and produce the TV shows. Like it's our job to find the ideas. So basically everyone said you can't get that job. But because I had really shown to the development people that I was good at digital media through Key and Peele, I spoke to them and I said, look, I'm going to bring you the skill set you don't have. Like nobody on your team knows anything about digital media. I just killed it on Keegan Peel and understand creative people. You know, Keegan and Jordan, Jordan trust me. Like I might be a hybrid of things. And they were willing to take a chance on me because I had really proven myself. So my whole career has been people telling me I can't do something because I don't have the skill set. And then me showing the value that I do have and kind of like working around their expectations. Amazing. When we started discussing this interview, I told you that in the new book, Forever Employable, the first step that I recommend that people do is is to plant a flag. And planting a flag means identifying this expertise or your experience or this domain that you would like to build your platform on and become recognized for and be known for. And one of the questions that I get all the time from folks these days is, how do I decide where to plant my flag? Or I'm more than one thing, right? I'm, I'm two things or three things. And you said you, you planted two different flags. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. And, and this t- it connects to what we were first talking about too. When I graduated college, there was such a pressure to find your passion. I wasn't sure what my passion was, I, except that I loved storytelling. 
I knew storytelling more generally, entertainment more generally. So what I did was I planted my flags. I knew I liked writing. So I planted Mm -hmm. a writing flag and I knew I wanted something more stable and producerial, like an executive job. So what I did was for the writing, I committed to writing every single day and to pursuing that. And I knew it wouldn't be my income earner, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't going to spend any less time on it because of that. People always ask, you know, how did you write a book while you had a full-time job? And the answer is very simple. I woke up early. (laughs) (laughs) Like I wanted to, and the only way to do it was to do it in the mornings before work and on the weekends. So I did it. So on the writing, I I took myself seriously. Mm -hmm. I wrote for an hour every day before work for, I don't know, 10 years or something like that. I put plays up. I would write blog articles, like things that seemed stupid at the time, but were practice until I got my book deal at Penguin Random House. And simultaneously, I planted my flag as somebody authentic who was on the side of artists in the entertainment industry at a pretty high level, like finding these shows, going out to shows, acting with integrity whenever I was very lucky to early in my career have a boss who didn't act with integrity. And I kind of, yeah, I was, I was because I saw like, oh, if you do that, your career will flame out. People don't like, like I saw all the things not to do. And then it basically just acted in response to that. Like, okay, if he carried himself this way, I'm going to carry myself this way. Right. And so for me, I, I think we're all more than one thing. If you're lucky enough to have one thing, cool. I wasn't. I had two passions. And, and right now, I am exploring the writer one as my primary. So now it flipped. You know, the executive thing was right. my primary for a long time. And now I've taken a step back to be a writer full time now that it, I can financially. Right. Amazing. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about writing because one of the things that I I stress and and I've learned myself over the years, and if I had to go back and do it all over again, I would start writing much, much sooner. Kind of like what you described, right? Stuff that feels stupid, stuff that no one's ever going to read, but it's practice because I personally didn't start writing. uh, I published my first book in 2013. So started writing about 2008, 2007 for real. I would have started 10 years earlier, frankly, to, you know, just to be better at it. Cause going back and looking at that stuff is mortifying, <laughs> right? Cause you, you get better. Uh, by the way, I love the fact that you said like, how'd you write the book while you were working full time? I woke up early. That's how you do it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's exactly you, you wake up early. You do it on, uh, on the commutes. You do it on the weekends. You do it, you do it at night. That's how you do it. So, so tell me this, how did you get a book deal? How does that come about from this story? So, all of the stupid writing that I had been doing for 10 years was accumulating. I had always wanted the New Yorkers, my favorite publication. Mm -hmm. And I had written down, it would be a life dream to be in the New Yorker. And so I don't remember exactly why, but one day I was like, well, let me reverse engineer some shouts and murmurs. You know, there's short satirical comedy pieces. And in comedy, I have watched so much comedy. I realized it's like math. 
some of it's not, but it, it is usually like premise plus this equals laugh, you know? Uh-huh. So I just, I just started reverse engineering in a Google doc satire. And then I like, okay, so they took a premise of something like they took a subject, they added a framework. The two are disparate. That's why it's funny. They like butt up against each other. Like I got really like specific about it mm-hmm. and then started writing my own. Uh-huh. And I submitted to the slush pile of the New Yorker. So that's just their like random email address, uh-huh. expecting nobody to ever read it. And um, sure enough, I got my first piece in there. And, you know, I, it, the New Yorker online, I've, you know, but it was still like huge for me because I, I wasn't a real writer. Right. Again, I, I had been writing every single morning and really, you know, through college. So it's even like more years. So once I got The New Yorker, I was like, I want to write a book. I had always wanted to write a book. I had wanted to write a book since I read David Sedaris as a little kid. But now I had a little more credibility for for when I was going out and talking to people about it. So I said this out loud. I talked to somebody who had written some New Yorker things and had gotten a book deal. She got me in touch with her agent. But by the time I talked to her agent, I was so prepared because I had a ton of writing. Like I had written for many, many years, plus all these stupid blog articles. Like I started at like Thought Catalog and Hello Giggles, but then it was New Yorker and now Forbes. Like there's no way to build other than to build. Mm. And if you sit there worrying about, well, this isn't even going to matter. Nobody's going to read it. Like that's such a waste of time. When people think about writing as like something magical, I like to very quickly say like, there's no magic to writing. There's just practice. Yeah. I often get asked, what if I get writer's block or how do you get inspired? I was like, I've barely ever been inspired to write. If I needed inspiration to write, I doubt that I would ever write. It's a commitment. I like to write. I feel worse if I don't write. So I have time every morning where I write. That's it. And because I practice, I get better. Right. But I think it stops people from writing because they think it's unattainable. Yeah. And I just want to say, no, it's a habit and it's practice. And that's about it. I've experienced the power of writing and I'm, I'm a kind of a late bloomer when it comes to that. But a lot of folks will say, well, what am I going to write about? Everything's already been said. I don't have anything good to share. Right. But I think that with this practice, right, you start to generate some of these ideas that eventually people do want to listen and do want to read and do want to hear about. So you published this book called By the F*** Lilies. And what's happened since then? Kind of what has that book helped you kind of attract new opportunities? Has it, has it served to kind of build your platform? What's happened since the publication of the book? Yeah, I mean, it's been kind of crazy, but it, the book, it's about self-care and mm-hmm. I grew up in a neglected household where things came to die and sort of just like, how did I pull myself up from that muck? And then I give what I hope are practical, non-cheesy tips for building rituals, taking care of yourself. And it's resonated, you know, knock on wood. And it's been covered by a lot of different places. So it's really kind of gotten out there. Mm-hmm. And so some of the opportunities, some of the small ones are just to connect with 
people authentically, which is why I wrote the book anyway, was to make people feel less lonely. So, you know, even on Instagram or something, since the publication of the book, I think my Instagram account has gone eightfold. Like, yeah, things like that, like smaller things. But then there have been opportunities to speak at bigger platforms and speaking gigs. And I had a lot more lined up except for the pandemic. But the pandemic has presented its own opportunities. You know, tonight I'm talking to a book club over Zoom, which I probably wouldn't have had time for if I had been on a book tour right now. So I get to connect really with the readers. And I think it's given me an opportunity to write a second book, which is I'm working on the proposal now. And hopefully it's given me the opportunity to turn the first book into a TV show, like thus marrying the two things I love more than anything, writing and TV. So yeah, it's yet to be seen some of the opportunities, but all the little seeds are there. Amazing. Look, and you already answered my last question, which was, hey, how has the, the pandemic really affected this? And obviously it's, it's taken you off the road from a book tour, but it's amazing. All of a sudden we've got this time to do the other things that maybe we wouldn't have had time to do. And those personal connections, those bigger business opportunities being pulled in are amazing. Tara, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you making the time and sharing some of that. I hope that we're the recipient of some of that quarantine availability as well. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's like lovely to connect. It's just nice to connect with people in this time. Absolutely. And it's really great to hear your story. And it's amazing that there's a lot of stuff in there that truly resonated with me. And I think it's going to resonate with the folks as well. So again, thanks so much for being here and good luck with everything. Thank you. You too. Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of Forever Employable Stories. If you enjoyed the show and learned something new, tell a friend. The best way you can help us grow is to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and send this episode to someone you think can benefit from it. As always, feel free to reach out and connect on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Do you know someone who has a great Forever Employable story? Someone who has built a platform and an audience using their unique skills and experience? If so, I want to talk to them. Send me a note at jeff at gothealth.co and let me know.